Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Jonah chapter 3 and keep those open in your Bibles this morning as we're going to be looking at this. As been mentioned, we're in the third week of a series called I Am Jonah, and we've been calling that series this because there's things about Jonah's life that are very applicable to what I've experienced, and I'm assuming many of you have too, in your walk of faith. There's seasons of high and seasons of low and seasons of interest and disinterest, and we learn this as we look at Jonah's story. In week one of this particular series, what we noticed was that Jonah runs away from the will of God, and God pursues him, but God doesn't pursue him in anger. God pursues him in compassion and love. He wants to save Jonah from self-righteousness. And Jonah is self-righteous because he doesn't want to go to the Ninevite people and save them because he doesn't think they're worthy. He doesn't want them to be saved because they're not worth it. They're a mean, belligerent uh, people, and he's right, they were. But he doesn't understand the heart of God. So God pursues him with a heart of compassion and love and captures his attention. In chapter two, because Jonah was being pursued by God and a great storm came up, Jonah realized what was going on and he told him to throw him overboard and he expected to die for his rebellion and instead he's swallowed by a fish. And for three days and three nights, he has time to think. And when he thinks about his life and what he's done, he then realizes that God should have allowed him to die, but instead allowed him to live. And the grace that he experienced caused him to pray. And his prayer was all about who God was. And when he realized who God was, he, he called out for the mercy of God and then he was delivered. I'll use the kind word. He was delivered out of the fish onto the beach. And this is where we left last week. And as we get into this third week, uh, we need to be reminded the fact that this, this great nation of Nineveh, this, uh, the Syrian people, would become a thorn in the hide of the Israelites going forward and be one of the tools in which God punishes the Israelites for being a people of idolatry. And so Jonah's not wrong, but his heart is wrong. His facts are right, but his heart is wrong. And so God captures his attention and he calls him to go. It's a massive city. It would take Jonah three days to go through the city. And in my research, they would walk 18 to 20 miles in a day. So to go through the city, this is a massive city. And you would think that if God was gonna conquer this massive city, that he would conquer it with this great military and economic and political influence, that God would conquer them with an army, but he doesn't, he conquers them with a sermon. He sends a preacher, one man, into the great city, this great war power, and he calls them down by his strength. If you think about it, this is a pretty cool story. I don't know if it does anything inside of you, but it, it kind of elicits that little guy versus the world, right? This is what all of our great literature is about. It's about the, the little person with the right cause who goes against the evil with the dark cause. You think of the movies that are made and millions of dollars spent to develop films from great pieces of literature, and they all have this thread in it. Now, you know, every, every movie on Hallmark is Cinderella retold. I don't want to ruin it for you, but it is. And every great epic is the little guy going against the dark forces and winning for the most time. Think about The Hobbit. Think about Lord of the Rings. Think about Harry Potter going against the dark forces. Think about Don Quixote trying to slay the windmills that are dragons in his mind. Think about humble Notre Dame going against the dark empire of Alabama. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Evil's not been fully defeated yet. But when you think about that, from the time we were children, we all had ambition. Remember when you pretended? 
Maybe you were a little boy who pretended to be a soldier and you were defeating the enemy or something along those lines. And, and maybe little girls, you dreamed about, you know, doing this great thing and making a big difference. Whatever happened to us? Are the lives that we're currently living worth living? If I ask you, what's the great quest in your life right now? What's the, what's the one important thing you're pursuing with everything you are that you'd be willing to die for? I hope it's not to pay your mortgage or to buy a new truck or to get a boat. I hope it's something different because what God does with us is he gives us a quest, a quest worth dying for. And deep inside, that's how we're motivated. That's how we're inspired is to have a reason to live beyond just surviving this week and hoping next week might be better. See, chapter one, Jonah defects and God pursues. Chapter two, God shows great mercy and Jonah's changed by it. In chapter three, we're gonna talk about the will of God. Now, my outline is very simple, but don't mistake simple for comfortable because what we're gonna learn about the will of God is it's not comfortable. It was never intended to be and God will make no apologies for it. It's a quest, it's a challenge and it's beautiful when we enter into it. It's frightening when we fear it. So let me show you from this story, four things about the will of God as applied to the life of Jonah. And at the end, you and I may say, I am Jonah. And I hope this week you do. So let's look. God's will brings invitation and challenge. It brings an invitation and a challenge. Now we're really cool with the invitation part of it. Come out of the darkness into the light. Come receive forgiveness. Come allow your sins to be sacrificed for. Come out guilt-free. Come out free. We love the invitation. The challenge, some of us have mistakenly thought that God only came to forgive us and not to change us, to use us, to inspire us to serve. And so if you're going to accept the will of God, please understand it comes with an invitation, but it also comes with a very great challenge. It's going to take bravery, focus, sacrifice. You're going to have to be Harry Potter. You're going to have to be willing to take some risks and put yourself in uncomfortable spots to fulfill this. Let's look at chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it to the message I give you. Tell them, this is chapter 1, verse 1. What happened? In chapter 1, verse 1, Jonah's like, peace, I'm out. Nah, I ain't doing it. Chapter 3, he's like, okay. But what changed? Grace. The invitation was, Jonah thought he should have died, and he didn't die, and God was the one who rescued him. Even though God's form of rescue wasn't always perfect and comfortable, it was God who rescued him. And when Jonah realized that, he understood that there was a purpose, there was a reason, there was a challenge, and here it was. Jonah had clearly and intentionally rebelled and disobeyed God. This wasn't an accident. This wasn't a mistake. He said to God, nope, and bolted. He thought being self-sufficient is not that I think I'm all that. Self-sufficiency says I can actually live a good life without God. I can have a life without him. And Jonah thought, and not only can I have a life without him, I'm better than those people, so I'm going to have a life without him. And so in the midst of all of this, Jonah had clearly and intentionally disobeyed God. Now I'm thinking from a coach's perspective, right? If I have a player who I have to pull off the field, you just fit your sport in this or your activity, and I have to pull a player off the field because he won't run, he won't run the plays that were called. 
He, he's doing his own thing. He's doing it his own way. It's all about him and his points and his desires and his fame. And I pull him out of the game and I sit him on the bench and I'm like, dude, you're done. Sit down. You're not playing because you won't play like the team. I need you to play together and you're playing independently. And then all of a sudden, the end of the game in the most crucial moment, am I putting that player back in to take the shot or to have the at-bat or to throw the pitch? No. He's already proven I can't trust him. Why would I put him back? Yet This is what God does. God puts the rebel back in the position and says, now do what I asked you to do. And before we go, well, Jonah, what an idiot. I'm Jonah, are you? My whole story is the number of times that God gave me a chance to get back in the game after he had to pull me out. This is Jonah's story. Jonah had to adjust to the will of God because the will of God will not adjust to us. God's will is perfect. It doesn't need altering. It just needs acceptance. And God is showing Jonah what he's teaching us through Jesus, that God's strength is most displayed in our weakness, that God doesn't need us. He desires us, that God positions us. And the way that he gathers our attention is he puts us in our weakness so his strength can be known. He displays himself through our lives. And the more we trust him, the more we realize that his strength is profound in our weakness. And when we offer our strength, we actually offer nothing. Jesus would teach it this way in John chapter 12. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. When we admit our weaknesses and rely on God in our weaknesses, he shows his strength. And not only does he show his strength, the world sees his strength rather than ours. Jesus would say, I'm going to become weak so I can demonstrate how strong I am. And you're like, what? So he was captured and he was tortured and he was murdered. And three days later, he walked out of the tomb and he thought, you gave me your best shot. And when I became weak, I actually showed you how strong I am. And this is what he's offering us. But we don't always like the will of God when it comes to the challenge. We love the invitation, but the challenge is hard because the challenge means God's going to ask you to suffer for something worth dying for. He's going to ask you and I to suffer our comfort and suffer some of our convictions and suffer many, many things that we're holding on to that aren't worth holding on to. Because many of us are living lives not worth living. And so he's going to cause us to suffer. And a few weeks ago in week one, you, you might remember that I used the illustration of the storm, that sometimes God sends storms into our lives to get our attention. Let there be no doubt about that. He is capable of doing that. And the entire time he's doing it is not so much to punish, but to capture our attention and to awaken us. But I also pointed out that I believe it's also proper to understand that some of the storms in our lives are self-inflicted. Our rebellion, our sinfulness causes the consequences of those actions to appear in our lives. But I had a friend who emailed me and she had a concern and it's a legitimate concern, so I wanna address it. She said, but there, if, you, if those are the only two options, then some people think I got cancer. Why, because God's mad at me or because I did something wrong? No, no, no. Sometimes we live in a broken world because of evil. And things like cancer and death and destruction and theft and evil people doing evil things and you did nothing to do with it and it was not God's intention for you, but in his sovereignty, he will be with it. And no matter where the storms come from, the sovereignty of God is our hope. That when I can't, he can. And when I am weak, he is strong. And God allows suffering in our world because he is able to overcome it with us and strengthen us through it and capture our attention and guide us properly. So when you think about this, I want you to see how we view suffering in our culture. 
Who made the big push in the United States to make sure that buildings are handicapped accessible and there's parking that's convenient for people who have to travel with the encumbrances of handicapped? Do you know who it was? It was the handicapped themselves and the guardians of the handicaps who stood up and used the moment of suffering to better our world. I remember as a kid when drunk driving started showing up on televisions as a bad thing instead of a comic thing on television. Who led the drive to point out that drunk or buzz driving is not reasonable, it is not right, and you should be punished if you do it? It was those that had been hurt by and the families of those who had been hurt by drunk drivers. And what have we been called as a church to do? To be people that have been rescued by the grace of Jesus Christ and share that grace of Jesus Christ to all people. God uses those tough moments of suffering to change us and show that in our weakness, the strength of the gospel is most displayed. God's will also demands purpose. In that challenge, there is one clear purpose behind it that we hold on to. You see, God didn't motivate Jonah by the fear of a fish. God motivated Jonah by the grace of the fish. So I 100% I believe when Jonah went over the side, he thought he was going to die. In fact, he wished he were dead. But when he was rescued by the fish, he saw the grace of God. And in the belly of the fish, he prayed the prayer that said, God, you, I was sinking. I was going to the bottom. And it, the weeds were wrapped around my head, but you pulled me out and set my feet on solid ground. He knew the grace. God motivated him through that because in verse 3, it says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. He did what he once didn't want to do. What changed Jonah? Grace. Having been rescued... He realized the life he had been given needed to be invested to the one who gave it to him. Because our God is a calling and sending God. He's both. He's not either, he's both. He calls us to send us. He doesn't call us to abuse us and make him pay us back for his son's blood. No, he doesn't do that. He actually calls us into his family and invites us to go into the world inviting others to receive what we've received. He's a calling and he's descending God. And Jonah was invited back by God to do the one thing he'd been previously asked to do. I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to preach. I want you to sing the song of salvation, Jonah, the song you've experienced. I know it's ornery and please forgive me in advance, but one of the perverse pleasures I get in life is to walk in a room and whistle or hum, don't worry, be happy. Come back an hour later and find out the whole room's singing it and they don't remember why. They don't know why. Have you ever done it to anybody? Have you ever wakened in the morning and you're singing a song from like some song you remember as a kid on the radio and you're like, when was the last time I heard that, but it's in your head? Do you know what Christians really can do? We can sing the song of salvation wherever we go. And don't be surprised when those seeds get planted in people's hearts and they, they turn. And they don't even know where the story came from because it doesn't matter who sang the song, just the song needs sung. And it's not just that I'm not going to hell. It's that I have a life to live now. I've been called and sent in grace a grace that makes a difference. In Genesis chapter 12, what did God say to Abraham? The one who started this movement of faith. He said, I am going to bless you to be a blessing. Now go. Calling and sending. It's not just for some of us. It's not for the paid Christians. It's for every single one of us. That God has called you. Now, where he sends you will be different. For some, he might send you to foreign shores. And for some, he may give you a harder task. He may send you home to go into your own living room and your own family room and begin a conversation about how the grace of God has altered you and how it can alter us and your loved ones too. Instead of panicking about the ones you don't know, 
Here's the good news. God has already given you a network of relationships that you're in right now that you could spread the seeds of the gospel if you'll sing the song of salvation. That's his purpose. And it's not just to people who don't know him. It's also to people who do. The reason we gather on Sunday, I thought Elijah did a great job this morning, but let me reiterate what he said a little bit earlier. The reason we gather on Sunday morning is not so we can make sure you're behaving. It's to give you the reason to behave. It's to inspire you to walk by faith this week because the world is telling us and singing other songs, aren't they? And when we gather together and remember who we worship and remember that we're not alone and remember that in community we're strong and even in our weakness, the strength of God is found, we walk differently. We have a song to sing. When you hear the song, sing it. Because God's call will ease your soul and it will challenge your comfort. This is what he's gonna do. And let me be bold enough to say it. You cannot fulfill the call of God if you're not willing to go. If you won't tell others of what you've received, I question whether you've actually received it. Because if grace makes you feel better about you instead of better about God, we've misunderstood grace. The third thing is that God's will is soul-centered. This is a simple, easy point. It's found in verse four. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. I can do a lot with that verse, but I really want to highlight you is he sent him into the city. Why would he send him into the city? Because that's where people are. I remember distinctly driving out here in 2009 to see this church for the very first time in January. And I'm going to tell you, if you want to move your family across the country, there's no sexier place than Oronogo, Missouri. Let me tell you that. <laughs> and when we came down Highway D past the Casey's, which was the epicenter of Oronogo, we went by a sign that said population 1100. And my wife, who doesn't say anything like this, looked at me and said, where are they taking us? And I didn't know if you were going to bury me in a field and act like I never showed up. I had no idea. And I looked at her, I go, I have no idea. 1,100 people. Oh, my goodness. You know, our little town, I don't know what makes it a town versus a city. I've never figured that out. I've asked some people I thought were intelligent, and then they looked at me and went, huh, I don't know. So none of us know. I don't know if Oronogo is a town, a burg, a village. A city, but I'm telling you what, I do know some inside information. Our little town out here is going to double in size in the next five years. We might actually be a city. We might be a town. Wouldn't that be awesome? But all I know is there are going to be people moving into this community who may not know Jesus. I got a song to sing. How about you? Not come to church, but come join a movement of people who have been blessed by God and would love to share grace with you. Into the city he was sent. And he was sent with a clear message. Jonah didn't want to go to that city. It was those people. They were vicious. They were mean. They harmed innocents. They were unjust. They were selfish. He was right. But he saw them through his eyes. What he didn't see them was through God's eyes. Because God wanted to change them, not accept them. Church, we're not called to build up great churches and church brands. God never called us to be the biggest, the best, the most famous, or the most popular. None of those things. I'm glad we haven't achieved any of that because that's not the goal. God has not called us to have famous preachers and large followings. We're not called to create movements of our traditions, likes, and styles. We have been called to restore the souls of lost people through the grace of Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. It's not for us. Like Abraham, we have been called and blessed to be a blessing. Now go. It's a purpose and soul-centered. It's not fame. It's not power. It's not prestige. 
It's soul-centered. And fourthly, God's will is costly. This is what Jonah's going to realize because we're going to meet him in chapter four next week and it's not one of his better moments. Because the will of God does not make us comfortable, it costs. So far, the expression, I am Jonah, has been a negative. I'm Jonah because I run away. I'm Jonah because I'm self-righteous. I'm Jonah because I justify my behavior. I'm Jonah because I feel like I can live parts of my life without God. I'm Jonah because he has to capture my attention and suck me up inside of a large fish for three days until I wake up. But today's message of I am Jonah is actually a positive. What Jonah does in obeying God is he leans after receiving grace, he leans into the will of God. So today when we say I am Jonah, you can say that as praise. That God has allowed me to learn what Jonah learned, to do what Jonah did. Because no one is unchallenged in God's will. God's plan does not leave us comfortable. God shows more love than he should. God forgives beyond reason. God brings mercy when he should bring justice. He brings a hand up when he should smack down. And sometimes it bothers us because we all have those people in mind. Jonah must learn to love and forgive those who God loves and forgives. So he preaches a message. It's five words in the original language. It's eight in the English language. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now I can point this out to you, but the interesting thing is I've always focused on the overthrown. It's the father warning, right? You better stop. I'll get up. If I get out of this chair, you're not going to like it. Instead, I should focus on the beginning. 40 days. What a merciful God. God's statement to him is, I'm going to give you a chance to reason this out. I'm going to give you a chance to process this. I'm not going to force you. I'm going to give you a reason to trust me. And I'll give you 40 days and then my judgment will come. And Christian, listen to me. The judgment of God is not something we can ignore as if we do, it won't happen. The judgment of God is real. He doesn't play games. But he's so merciful and kind that he's giving us a chance to avoid it. And he's offering them mercy. Verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. I want you to notice verse 5 there at the very beginning. The Ninevites believed God, not Jonah. It wasn't, now, I do believe Jonah was altered. I believe if he was in the stomach of a, of a great fish, maybe a whale, I don't know what kind of fish it was, but they have stomach acid like every other mammal. And I'm telling you what, that if he would have spent time in the belly of that whale, that stomach acid would have changed the color of his skin and probably scarred him. And I bet when Jonah walked in to that town and began to preach in that great city, people said, that dude's seen things. The scarring of his life, he's seen some things. And they listened to the word because this man who was scarred stood up and talked about the mercy of God. And they're like, this doesn't match up. See, it's not about who's giving the message. It's about the reality of the truth. And they believed God. Verse six, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. The king was convicted. Who convicted him? The Holy Spirit. But it took a messenger to deliver the grace and hope so that the Holy Spirit works through the word and brings conviction in life. You see, the will of God is not negotiable. The words are hard to hear, but the words bring mercy. There's always mercy available in the words of God, always. But there's also judgment for those who reject it. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The clock starts now. And the king didn't need that much time. The king responded. 
Have you ever noticed that many times a positive message for it to sink has to come with a negative message? You know, people think the church is all about fire and brimstone, hell and damnation. No, it's not, but that's the truth. Sometimes you have to show the consequences of a good option. When I was a kid and my mom would say, you know, no cookies or treats before dinner because you'll ruin your supper. Motivated me not. I'm hungry now. Two cookies is better than what you're making for dinner. I'll have those. We're good. Now my mom, because she wanted me to love her and I did, but her motivation didn't move my darkness of my heart. She turned her back. I snagged two cookies. I'll take my risks. Maybe I ruined dinner. Now, when my dad found out, and said, if you ever do that to your mother again, you'll never get a cookie the rest of your life. He had my attention. <laughs> Positive truth was the negative consequence. And all of a sudden, I was like, huh, I like cookies. Okay. I know what we're dealing with now. When Jonah walked in, he said, judgment's coming, but it doesn't have to. The mercy of God is available to you. And it didn't have anything to do with their character or their personal value or what they offered God. It was the character of God that was displayed. When we present the gospel, let's present God and not ourselves. If I've discovered anything on the Discovery Channel or HDTV, and I've watched a lot, I have learned this. There is no remodeling without demolition. God's not going to change anything without tearing a wall down, getting rid of bad things, and replacing them with good things. There is no remodeling without demolition, and there is no repentance without change. You see, repentance is not simply feeling emotional regret. It's not just wishing you hadn't done something. It's responding to that motivation that I will never do that again because I want the pleasure of God, not my own pleasure. And so in the midst of this, let's read verses 7 through 10. So the king has repented. He throws himself in the ground. He covers himself with uncomfortable clothes so that he can be reminded himself of the uncomfortable life he's lived. And this is a proclamation the king issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. That's weird. They dressed up their pets. They dressed up their cattle and their herds. And they says, let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. You hear the confession there? He realizes that it's not Jonah that's going to save him. He said, turn your attention to God and let's stop doing that which we know we should not be doing. Confession. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. I want you to notice verse 10 with good attention, please. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. I want you to notice something here. When God saw what they did, not what they thought, not what they said, when they changed their behavior, when he saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, then God relented. He gave them the option. They accepted his mercy. And what did he deliver? Mercy. Not, not judgment. So why are the animals covered in sackcloth? Why can't the animals eat or drink? Why do they have to fast? Because animals don't fast. So what's the point? That was their stocks and bonds. That was their cash. That was their livelihood. They were so convicted of their sin that they were willing to risk everything in their lives to receive his mercy, to show him that mercy was more valuable than their possessions. This is a huge statement, and I love it. We'll talk about it next week, but I can't wait. In the King James Version, it says 120,000 people repented and their cattle. That's awesome. 
I mean, we're out here in cattle country. Wouldn't it be cool on a Sunday if like a, a bull came down and repented in front? That'd be a revival. I'm waiting. Why did the cattle come? Because they knew their creator. The animals always respond to God. You read Narnia? They all know who Aslan is. And when the message was preached and revival happened in the land, all of creation responded because of who was calling them. Jesus was asked by his critics, why don't you do another miracle and show us who you are? This is what he said in Matthew 12, 39. The only sign you will receive is the sign of Jonah. As Jonah was in the belly of the deep for three days, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. They said, show us a sign. And Jesus said, I'm done performing. I'm not a circus monkey. Well, that's paraphrase. They said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah. What's the sign of Jonah? A man was in the belly of a great fish for three days and came out resurrected. Jesus said, I'm going to show you someone greater than Jonah. I'm going to go into the belly of the earth through death and I'm going to come out alive and I'm going to kill death. And I'm going to show you in my weakness how strong I am. I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah was a man who trusted God and was delivered. And Jesus said, trust in me and you will be delivered. That's the sign of Jonah. I am Jonah. I have been given grace. I have been forgiven of my self-righteous, self-sufficient heart. And now I want to share with others what God has done for me and wants to do for them. Today I am Jonah's a good thing. Because Jonah believed. What will it cost you? It cost you everything. But here's the good news. It won't cost you anything you were going to be able to keep anyway. It will cost you life, wealth, fame, fortune. It will make you uncomfortable. But God is calling you with great invitation and challenge. He's calling you to great cost, just like he paid for us. Just like Jesus went to the cross and gave up everything the world held over him. And he actually gave up nothing because through the power of God, he delivered all of us. Don't hold on to things you can't hold on to. Hold on to the one thing that can never be taken from you. This morning, to understand what this means, there's going to be some reflection questions and thoughts that appear on the screens. And I'm going to ask you to just take a few moments before we're led in musical worship as we conclude to spend some time not thinking about anybody but yourself, to place yourself in the third chapter of Jonah and ask yourself these questions about the invitation and challenge of God, the cost, about the purpose, about your soul and the souls of others. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.